This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 122 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, with the help of special guest Curtis Chen, we discuss Andrew Stanton's 2012 film, John Carter. We want to welcome back to the show Curtis Chen, the author of the sci fi thrillers Waypoint Kangaroo and Kangaroo 2. Welcome back, Curtis. Hi, thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you on for uh, what was a pretty interesting watch for me. Um, which, by the way, if anybody uh, wants yeah. to check it out, it's on Netflix right now. Go have a watch. And it's um, shorter than The Irishman, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> As pretty much everything is, honestly. But that's a, sorry, that's a different topic. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't um, seen that one yet, so I can't comment. But uh, this movie was uh, was pretty long, I, I will say that. Um, but yeah, I, I assume it must be shorter than The packed a lot of stuff in there, yeah. I, we're going to talk about it, but yeah, mm-hmm. if they... I feel like they tried to maybe bit off more than they can chew. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, Go it's ahead. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear what you guys what, what you guys thought of it. Um, I know, like, I sort of had a like when I walked out of the movie. There was I had certain certain preconceived notions the first time I saw it because I had been hearing about what people were saying. It was it, it, spoiler alert for you guys if you didn't know this, but it was bombing heavily. Everyone that was kind of the narrative behind it. <laughs> yeah. Um and so going in I walked out thinking like that wasn't so bad. I'm surprised. And like and yeah. then over the years I think there's kind of been this like small but passionate fan group of fans who've who've kind of championed this movie. Right. Um for reasons I think we can we can dive into. Yeah, shout out to some patrons who commissioned this project, actually. Uh, ben E., Chris C., and Stephen E., I believe it was. Uh, thank you guys for commissioning this. Hopefully you're enjoying our coverage. Uh, speaking of, we did an episode last week with Curtis on A Princess of Mars, the Edgar Rice Burroughs novel. So if there are any John Carter book fans out there checking this out for the first time, make sure to go back one episode uh, and hear us talk about that. Wait, wasn't that the guy in the movie, though? Yeah, he is in this movie. <laughs> like the Which whole was... movie's named after him, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was surprised to see the Edgar Rice Burroughs character show up. That was uh, uh, that was a twist. that was an interesting choice. Yeah, it was yeah. a choice for sure. Yeah, yeah. a little kind of uh, I don't know, a little corny maybe, but like <laughs> I, I like where it was coming from. Like I, I think mm-hmm. it would it would be a cool thing to do for sure. Yeah, it it certainly made the whole framing device more of a thing. So my personal issue with that was I kept looking at Daryl Sabara and I'm like, it's the, it's, the, it's the brother from Spy Kids. Yes, that's what I thought too. That's like, exactly what I thought. Is this a sequel to Spy Kids? Interesting. <laughs> I had that for so many other actors in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but totally. for that one, I don't have that touchstone, so I didn't have that problem. <laughs> so uh, I want to address the giant white ape in the room. Okay. Um, <laughs> This movie, um, I believe, earned on opening weekend $30.6 million on an estimated $250 million budget. Oh, my God. I've, I didn't know it was that but, high. <laughs> but I've heard as high as $350 million, oh including Lord. marketing and everything like yeah. that. That's an insane amount of money to spend on this movie. Yep. 
I mean, they were they. I do think that there was, you know, this was a this was a moment in time where Disney trusted some filmmakers who we, we can talk about the filmmaker and some some there were some shifting marketing uh, departments and things like that. All of these all of these things kind of build up to to make John Carter the the kind of flop, if you will, that it was. I think there's two major things that people like to point to, and it's. Mm-hmm. Um, the lack of if of if you're gonna if you're gonna establish a, a kind of massive franchise as they were clearly trying to do here, um, typically you're gonna need some sort of star power to just mm. get get people in. <laughs> so there's there's that, and then there's also the first trailer that came out. I don't know if you you guys saw it ever or anything like that, but it was um, there was no like spectacle to it, which in a movie like mm. this I think people are expecting, and and I don't think it really established the fact that it was like. A Civil War era soldier getting sent to Mars. It was just kind of like snapshots of the movie. We can get into why that trailer ended up being what it was, but I don't know. Overall, what, did you guys think that that this deserved to flop as hard as it did? Is it is it sort of? Um, do you think that the people who are so passionate about it are have a leg to stand on, or, or what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> well, before before we get into it, I, I wanted to ask you: should we should we keep the spoiler free early on? In case people are wanting to know kind of general thoughts and decide if they want to watch, it's been seven years. I was going to say I, was, I wasn't thinking we would, but <laughs> okay, well, maybe let's not get into I like think heavy the spoilers. Of has expired. Probably. We can do like a little general thoughts section just to yeah. like kind of get that out of the way and get yeah. our thoughts okay. out, we'll, and then we'll, we can we'll go save into the heavy more. spoilers for like the latter half of the episode. How about that? Okay, yeah, sounds um, good. Yeah. So for 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 me personally, um, I can I I was trying to figure out like why it bombed so badly and like what in hindsight could have been done to save this movie and could it be saved? And I think that's a, you know, an open question. I don't know. Um, but I think a few things you kind of touched on for one, I think a lack of like a recognizable lead that people could get excited about, um, I think was, was tough. Uh, not to mention also, I think Taylor Kitsch was just sort of miscast in a lot of ways. Um, I think this movie, if it was going to succeed, needed a big beefcake in there. <laughs> um, I, know, I know, I know, I know. He put on some muscle, but I mean, like they needed like The Rock. They needed somebody like 250 pounds, a man meat out there um, who looked powerful. And and you know, think about like Conan the Barbarian that did well in the 80s, right? Like you had Arnold, mm-hmm. and this I think needed something like that. And and unfortunately, Taylor Kitsch just isn't that. And so I kind of, I think that might have hurt it a little bit. And then, yeah, it seemed like marketing, there was some really interesting mistakes in the marketing of this film. And then overall, I have other criticisms that I'll save. But uh, yeah, Curtis, what, what's your take on that? <laughs> yeah, so I think, uh, I, I have two main things. Um, the first one is, I think, I think with a lot of big movies like this, there's sort of like people's expectations and the buzz that all the marketing tries to build around um, a release um, can make something seem like a bigger failure than it actually is, right? Because mm-hmm. like like a $30 million opening weekend, like if you or I like suddenly made $30 million in like three days, <laughs> like that's not yeah. terrible, right? Yeah. But if we but spent $350 just, you know, million dollars to earn $30 right. million. Right, and if you've been telling everyone, oh, this is going to be like the start of a huge franchise, like, you know, Disney's going to make like a John Carter th- John Carter world in Disneyland mm-hmm. or whatever, like mm-hmm. then it, it really feels like a disappointment. I feel like, you know, just watching the movie now, it's like, it's not, it's not necessarily badly made. I think there are some 
choices that weren't necessarily the best. Um, so that's my first point. Like I think there was a lot of expectation at the time, and maybe mm -hmm. James, you you might know more about that. Um, and I my my second point is actually kind of a rebuttal to your uh, complaint about Taylor Kitsch. Okay. Which, um, but so in many ways, I, I do agree with you. Like if you because we read the novel and we talked about that last weekend in the book, John Carter is described as like this huge like six foot two dude, which mm -hmm. was pretty tall back in 1912, right? Right. But so I, I actually have a two-pronged rebuttal. <laughs> one <laughs> is that, um, you remember when the Jack Reacher movie came out, the first one, and mm -hmm. people were complaining that Tom Cruise was not like a big beefy guy like Jack Reacher is described mm -hmm. as being in the books. Mm. Um, but obviously, you know, he was able to pull it off uh, because he's Tom Cruise and for other reasons. <laughs> um, and also, um, so one... One movie that I thought of as you know, I was watching this and getting to the to, sort of the end of it without spoiling anything. It's like, um, so you remember the movie Pitch Dark, Pitch Black, yeah, Pitch Black with uh, Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel, yeah, and then and then they made a sequel to that called The Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, yes, very much thought of that. Vin, Vin Diesel <laughs> again, yep. right? So he's like a big dude, and sure. he can fight and all this kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but I feel like the the issue with Chronicles of Riddick was like. Did anyone really care about like that setting that much? It's like mm. the first movie was great because it was like a very sort of tight, uh, very tense horror movie mm -hmm. um, in a very with a very specific thing they were doing. And then the second mm. movie was about something totally different and really huge. And like it wasn't clear that to me that fans of the first movie were ever going to like the second one. It's mm -hmm. interesting to me because I thought with the Chronicles of Riddick um, sort of comparison, you were mm -hmm. going to go down the name the name route. I thought you were going to talk about John Carter as being chosen as the title for this film. I, I do think that's part of it because I think they were trying to do a similar thing to build out this huge world, right? Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, going back to the novel, they, they certainly brought in things that were not in that first uh, Barsoom novel, right? They brought mm -hmm. in stuff like the Therns and all this other stuff. Like they actually go down the river Is, which doesn't happen until the later novels. Um, so I think they were trying to sort of build up this big world that they could actually like have a lot of different stories happening. Um, but again, like it wasn't clear at the time that anyone was actually going to care about that. Yeah. <laughs> and and Naomi and John Carter, when it's actually about all this other more interesting stuff, and we talked a little about this last week about how like there was a lot of world building in the novel where they're explaining, oh, this is how this Martian society operates. This is how things happen on Mars. Um, and I think that was another place where the movie wasn't able to do, like they, they couldn't like have three paragraphs of explaining like why the green Martians behave this way. They just had to like get on with it. Yeah. And that, that was just to talk about my general thoughts on it. Um, I think the name had something huge to do with, with hmm. the marketing and, and that, that all of these things jointly, we're, we're kind of building an avalanche. But um, the, so John Carter is like one of the most generic names you could think of, and it doesn't really evoke anything. It's, it's mm -hmm. sort of just like whatever you put on John Carter is going to be, which kind of makes sense for the story. It's like an everyman story. Mm -hmm. um, everyman in the fact that like John Carter is just some soldier that gets sent to Mars and he has superpowers because he's a human uh, right. from, from Earth. Yeah. Um, so like that, that sort of naming it that, and then the reveal at the end of the movie, which I found interesting, and this isn't a spoiler, it's just that like the title at the end, it goes from John Carter to John Carter of Mars. And mm -hmm. I'm like, if they had just named the movie John Carter of Mars, <laughs> I think yeah. people would have been a little bit more on board with that. 
Um, so that that's that. And then to talk to uh, so, sort of to what you were talking about, Curtis, is like the the world and the characters. I I think that this movie would have connected with me at least a little bit more if there was if there was any time given to actually showing instead of like all these heavy exposition dumps because constantly mm-hmm. people are just talking at each other they're like this is what's mm-hmm. happening and this 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 is what we do here this is and like if there had been moments of like us being able to visually just like take in the culture and understand just from just showing us what 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 life is like for the for all of these people the tharks mm-hmm. and just like allowing us to kind of sit with it and and seeing through John Carter's eyes for the first time and seeing them in their natural habitats kind of doing their thing, I think would have gone a long way to making the world feel a little more realized or sort of Mm -hmm. like tactile, like something's actually there, something's actually going on. Whereas I feel like it was kind of um, on this viewing, I'm realizing that it was kind of like bullet points. Like they were trying to hit the things that happened in the book and they're like, this happens, this happens, this happens. We're explaining this. And mm. so now we need to go over here and we need to get this thing. And it just didn't yeah. really get, like have any any moments of, of breathing where we could take in. Although I will say there's there's this couple of scenes like near the very end where he sort of like looks out at Mars and is like deciding that this is where he wants to stay and he wants to be mm-hmm. John Carter of Mars. I felt like maybe those were the only moments that I had to, to just breathe and be like, okay, we're on Mars and, and like he's making a decision. So my, uh, my big man theory here, I'm going <laughs> to touch back on. Um, I, I, I mean, I see what you're saying to Curtis and I totally agree. Um, you know, obviously just putting in a, a, a Vin Diesel or something, isn't going to make a movie work um, necessarily. I think it was the, the, a lot of the selling point of this movie seemed to be like him leaping around and doing these superhuman mm-hmm. feats. And when I read the novel and it was explained away as like, oh, differences in gravity give him give you superpowers, I could kind of laugh at it because it's like, okay, that's a very old-fashioned way to think about gravity, but okay, I'll go with it. Um, whereas in 2012, to propose that that is the case see, is, is so crazy to me that in the only way that I, I feel like I would kind of buy it is if there's already someone who has sort of a superhuman physique in that setting and like i think that would go a little bit more to me selling this guy who's leaping from airship to airship and like being superman out here literally doing a superman save of the falling princess at one point and that kind of stuff um so it just would have helped a little bit with that but that brings me around to my other point um, as we're talking about reasons why i think this movie struggled it's 2012 we know a lot about mars we know a lot about space travel and they come out with this movie that seems to propose that there is this whole you know, culture and society living on Mars. Um, and I remember just being confused by the trailers. Like, what are they talking about? Um, and, and there was no real effort to explain. And, and like, maybe they could have put something in where it's like, you know, they have some sort of way of masking the fact that the society is on Mars or it, it, it is no longer on Mars in modern day, but this is a hundred years ago. And back then there was a society on hmm. Mars. I don't know, but it, whatever it was, the fact that you hit us with this bland name, like you said, James, John Carter, okay, who's this guy? He's going to Mars where there's, for some reason, aliens there. That doesn't make any sense. There's just so many ways that I was bouncing off of this trailer when I saw it originally, and I remember I had no interest in seeing it. So, um, yeah, I I just felt like you don't want to confuse the hell out of your audience, and I think they do that. All that being said, I actually kind of enjoyed watching this movie. Um, yeah. in a kind of a trashy yeah. way, like it is pretty fun. <laughs> you can tell that they spent a lot of money on it. On it, clearly, mm-hmm. um, it's it's pretty well made. I have highlights, um, so I don't want to come off like a, like it's all negative because I think there is some right. positives here, for me at least. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I mean, I wanted to say that that hopefully it didn't sound. I, I feel like I probably was talking about a lot of things that I didn't necessarily think were great in it. But um, my first first time I saw this movie, I. I kind of became part of that group that was like telling people like, it's not, it's not as bad as you think it is. Like it's, it's kind of like solid and serviceable for like a sci-fi story. Um, it's nothing you haven't seen before. And, you know, this is before I really knew that like, it's literally just what's on the page and you know, the books influenced all of these other things, all of these other sci-fi stories that we're so familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I remember walking out thinking just, I was just so shocked that it was, it was bombing as hard as it was. And I just thought like, this was at a period of time when Disney, I mean, I guess still today, Disney just like typically doesn't put out these bombs. Like it just doesn't happen for Disney normally. Um, so it was just really surprising. And I have a lot of information that we can talk about that kind of <laughs> can kind of point towards uh, some of the reasons why. Um, if you guys want to, we can move into the film director and then, and then go from there. Before we get into it, I did want to mention our giveaway we're still doing right now. Um, Curtis uh, gave us two books, uh, his Waypoint Kangaroo and Kangaroo 2, signed copies. We're going to give out to our listeners. All you have to do is send us an email to inktofilm at gmail.com with the title uh, Kangaroo in the subject line. That's the code word. And you'll enter to win these books. Um, in addition, this week, uh, Curtis, you're tossing in um, some codes that we can give out that will give people access to your uh, your new project with Serial Box. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So Serial Box is doing uh, serial fiction. And the new project I'm involved with is called Machina. And it's about uh, rival companies building uh, robots, AIs, to go explore Mars. So this is like near future science fiction with a lot of uh, technology and uh, interpersonal relationships. Um, it's really cool. Um, so I'm one of the writers on the on the team, and um, it's going to start on January 29th, and you'll get a new episode every week. The pilot is free for anyone to listen to, but these codes that we're going to give away will give you the whole, uh, ten. I think it's 10 episodes mm. of the, the first season um, so that you can listen to or read. There's an app, uh, and you can sort of switch between the two. Um, yeah, so all you have to do is sign up for a serial box account if you don't already have one, and then put in the code on your account, and it should give you access to the whole all of Machina uh, when it when it starts. Cool, That's awesome. So we're going to give that out to the winner who who is also getting the books, but then we're also going to give it out to two runner ups, um, so that you know if you were if you were close, you're going to get those codes at least, so you can check out something from Curtis. Um, we also forgot to mention last time that this giveaway, at least for the physical books is limited to U.S. residents only. Um, If you are an international listener and you would like to enter to win the code, you can still do that. Um, Send us in the email. Just let us know that you're only entering to win that. But we can't afford where we're at right now with the podcast to be shipping internationally. But um, we appreciate you understanding that. Um, And we hope you all enter because I I think it's a fun to do these sort of giveaways and we want to continue to do them. Um, So, yeah, that's code word kangaroo in your subject line. Email it to inktofilm at gmail.com. And since you mentioned the books, I do want to, because I'm brilliant, I totally spaced on this thing from, from the novels. Like I mentioned, like I sort of use some of the references from the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Mars novels, but I right. totally failed to mention that the actual, like the main ship in the first book is literally named Dejah Thoris. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> like, that's cool. a big one. Yeah, and actually, yeah, yeah. like, the first book uh, was translated into Chinese and published over there, and they used a different title, because Waypoint Kangaroo, 
is maybe not the best title anyway. But <laughs> they're like, no one's gonna know what this is. So, so the Chinese title is is more like uh, Secret Agent Kangaroo colon the Deja Thoris Adventure. <laughs> so it's literally in the wow, title Princess of the novel. Mars is in yeah. the title technically. Public domain, guys. It's, yeah. it's all it's all cool. <laughs> so anyway, nice. yeah. Now we can move on. All right. Oh, I also wanted to shout out um, Emily Saveda. Uh, she is doing a book launch right now while we're recording, and I felt kind of bummed though when I realized that we couldn't. I couldn't make it out to it. Um, but this this vicious cure is coming out today. Um, she was our guest way back on our Jurassic Park episodes. So shout out to her. And um, if you if you're enjoying those books, definitely check out the third one. Um, or if you have if you don't know what they are, look into them. This Mortal Coil, uh, this Cruel Design, and this Vicious Cure. I believe are the three, right? Yeah, Emily's cool. great. Her books are awesome. Congratulations, to Emily. Yeah. All right, James. I think we're ready. I want to know all the backstory. <laughs> what, okay, what, so what, here what we went go. On this movie? Yeah. Here we go. So uh, the film's director's name is Andrew Stanton. He's an American film director, screenwriter, producer, and voice actor based at Pixar, which he joined in 1990. His film work includes co-writing Pixar's A Bug's Life, and also directing Finding Nemo. Finding Dory, its sequel, Wally, and live-action Disney's John Carter, which we're currently talking about. Uh, he also co-wrote all four Toy Story films and Monsters Inc. Wow. Yeah, so he was pretty involved in a lot of Pixar stuff. Yeah, a lot of those yeah. Pixar movies are great. Um, yeah. So uh, I mean, it's not. Yeah. I don't think it's what controversial to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I, <laughs> well, let's find out. <laughs> So if this had been a Pixar movie, like fully animated. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That like, might have been oh, a way wow, to save yeah. it. <laughs> Honestly. So, so, I mean, to jump the gun a little bit, he, he was, you know, not accustomed to live action film mm-hmm. directing and sort of there, like people point to that. And I think he even admits it himself that, that he was very accustomed to sort of the revision process in an animated film and the smaller, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the things that you can change on an animated film mm-hmm. that don't require $500,000 a day for <laughs> a, an entire film crew to shoot and reshoot and do something differently and change. So the process that he was accustomed to is Pixar's process, which if, if you're not familiar is sort of write it and, and animate it and rewrite it and reanimate it until it works. And it's clearly it's done them very well uh, over their run. Pixar's, you know, got to be the most prolific animation studio at this point. And he he was in there early. He was he was also uh, a part of the the group that was brought in. John Lasseter also being another one of them. And that guy's a piece of shit. But uh, <laughs> just to mention, like, I know yeah. people know the name and they understand, like, how powerful he was at Disney and sort of his influence on on a lot of the films. And they were very successful under him. That's sort of just like putting in perspective, like where this this person, Andrew Stanton, sort of like who he came in with was John Lasseter, Pete Docter, John Ramp. Like a lot of these people who directed Pixar films were executive producers on Pixar films. So um I mean, it's not like he hasn't made good films before. I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think back to uh, something Luke said earlier. I think the sort of the issue of setting, like um, like the movie starts in a different place than the novels did, where they sort of try to introduce you to this sort of fantasy version of Mars that doesn't mm-hmm. really exist. Um, but it's not really the same as like, you know, like you're not saying, you're not starting with a title card that says like, Long ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
or right. it's not like an animated Pixar thing where you're like, oh, clearly, like fish can't really talk, so this is fine. We're just gonna pretend that this is what's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. But instead, they're 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 showing us Mars ostensibly that, mm-hmm. and we're just yep, supposed yep. to buy that this is going on on Mars. Which is a big ask, right. I think, in in the year 2012. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm amazed. Exactly. I thought this movie was older than it was. I was shocked to see that it was that recent. <laughs> honestly, yeah. less than 10 years old. It's I don't know, surprising. Mm. To talk a little bit more about like Stanton and his sort of uh, love of John Carter, he had been waiting 30 years for someone to make a movie about this <laughs> character, John Carter. Wow. Um, and basically, because of the success of all those Pixar films, he and John Lasseter. And uh, some other powerful people at Disney were basically able to leverage making this film and saying, like, we want complete creative control. John Lasseter at the time was the was the head of Pixar, and he convinced a studio chairman named Dick Cook to buy the series for Stanton, buy Burroughs' Princess of Mars series, um, and basically made the case that, like, because of the success of these other movies... He's shown that he can he can direct a film like this. Let let him take off with his franchise and have co- complete creative control. So as a Burroughs purist, Stanton was determined to make the film in a way that completely honored the source material. In an interview with the online movie site Badass Digest, Stanton said that he felt like if anybody had a chance of making this without it being all messed up by the studio, it's going to be him. He uh, he said that disney was afraid of him because they wanted to make him happy at pixar because like he had he had been he had brought so much success to them um Mm. he so quote he thought i should use this for good and make the movie the way i always thought it should be made if at any one of these points disney were going to push back i would have pulled out it's the best way to buy a car i don't mind walking away so Mm. basically he was saying that he was so powerful at the time that he could he could make this film without Disney's input in any in any way, and if they had said like, "Oh no, we don't want you to do it like that," he would have just walked on the project. Hmm. Um, so apparently, that's the kind of from that quote I'm I'm drawing that that's the kind of um, free reign he was given with this, and seemingly because of all of this, there was someone named Mary Carney who was the lead uh, the leader of the marketing department at the time. And she wanted to start to cut trailers. She wanted to start to create the trailers. And this is kind of how we get back to that first teaser and, and what mm-hmm. went on with that. Because Stanton was used to the slower pace, perfection, if possible, world of Pixar animation, he didn't have any anything really ready to give her to start to make the trailers. But the trailers needed to be made because the movie was, you know, that far projected. It was, you know, about a year out or so. Mm-hmm. So she had to start making the trailers. But there weren't any CG shots that were fully finished. There were, um, you know, things weren't color corrected. Things just weren't ready to be cut into a trailer. So seemingly from her explanation and kind of his as well, uh, it's not that he and she even admits it wasn't that he wasn't prepared and that like he was doing it on purpose. It wasn't like he didn't want to give her any of the footage. It just wasn't ready. So when they cut that first trailer, Unfortunately, what happened was people reacted to it and then that kind of became the narrative that, oh, this movie is weird, like it doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere. And then the media started running with the fact that it was also costing Disney an arm and a leg. It was $250 million movie that seemingly no one was interested in. And so this sort of narrative of is this going to be a big Disney flop started to started to kind of be the talking points for the movie. I can see that. I mean, it seems like 
I don't know that you can just say that just because people thought like, oh, this is going to be a flop that it, it became one. I think that it's right. definitely a contributing factor, right? Like, I just like I'm trying to paint the picture like one piece, yeah, yeah. one little section at a time. It's like I think the, the people definitely point to the marketing and I didn't want to I wanted to definitely do the research to find out if the marketing was to blame. But it seems like it's a mixture of direction, marketing, characters are kind of they're familiar because people they've all of these like. All of these characters, all of these big moments have basically been stolen by other sci-fi stories as yeah. we talked yeah. about in the in the book. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's something they should have leaned into because um, when this mm. came out, I didn't know it was based off a book. I didn't realize it was based off of this classic novel mm. that, that so many things had been built off of. If they had put right. that in the marketing material, like before Star Wars, before this, there was mm-hmm. John Carter of Mars and like it was the thing that influenced everybody. And like, if, I don't know, like tell a story a little bit with it and get us excited about it. Instead, right, they were just yeah. like, here's John Carter. And it, it kind of got the assumption that they were like, you know what that is, right? And I'm like, I don't that's, know what that I, is. I think, <laughs> that, I think that's what kind of the, the narrative was too. Like I yeah. think Stanton believed that. And he I, I think he had some some creative control over the trailers. I think he, he assumed because in an interview I was reading, he was talking about how like this was his Star Wars, this was his avatar, was this story growing up. Mm-hmm. And so he, I think he had that sort of in his mind as like everyone's familiar. Everyone this is a cultural it. touchstone. Yep. Maybe they could have at least said from the creator of Tarzan. I don't know. Say something. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or I mean, I mean, it, yeah, or to, to yeah. point to the director, they could have said something about Pixar. The fact that he had sure. all these successful Pixar movies. But yeah. I guess I, from what I understand, he didn't want to be. He didn't want this film to be associated with something that could be seen as kiddie. He wanted it to be more of a serious film. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense, um, and maybe it explains why. Like, I felt like there could actually have been more humor in it. Like there were certain elements that they could have been a little more playful with. If you guys are ready, this I think this is a good time to get into plot. Um, I just wanted to mention a couple of little things. Is is this movie needed to make like $600 million to actually turn a decent profit from what I understand? <laughs> um, there, I, I also was looking at reviews and, and it's not... The reviews are more mixed than negative. So I would say like the budget mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily reflect the... or I'm sorry, the, the, the box office doesn't reflect the reviews. Right. Um, but if you guys are ready, we can we can move into some some plot here. Before before we get into the plot, I just want to shout out some of the actors that I that, that I was recognizing. Um, oh, I also do want to mention um, Lynn Collins, who plays Deja Thoris, the other lead in this movie. And I don't really have any complaints with her performance, but she was an unknown um, at the time. And I I watched when I was watching, I was like, where do I know her from? She looks familiar. So I looked, I looked her up and I couldn't Mm -hmm. find much in the way of films, but she was in season one of true blood as Dawn, (laughs) the waitress who I think she's in like five or six episodes and then she, then she dies. Um, and I was Uh, like, that must be where I recognize her from. Cause I did watch true blood. I don't know. I can tell you one other thing she was in before. Okay. She was in, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, of course. Oh my which god, also, that's where I know her all, from. Which also featured Taylor Kitsch as Gambit. Yeah. In wow. a very small role. <laughs> yeah. Totally random. So they were in a movie like, I don't know, it was like a, a few years before this. Oh man. I've re- I've repressed that movie. I, I try not to think yeah. about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't great, but... Um, but Do you guys want to talk about Wolverine's like crazy CG claws for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that movie like, is wild for sure. Yeah, I feel like maybe she was kind of a thing for for a minute, uh, and also like K- Taylor Kitsch was on Friday Night Lights, 
Yeah. Yeah, which I, I never watched, but I know some people do really like. Yeah. I'm sure that that's the reason why he got this role because mm-hmm. I, I know that, that that show is very popular and I've heard great things about it. I've only ever seen like part of the first season, but I know like plenty of people who say it's one of the one of the best oh, yeah, TV yeah, shows yeah. for that yeah, era. A lot of people love it. And he yeah. played one of the football players, so like I believe so. Yeah, yeah. He he had the physique already, I think. Sure. And, um, you know, he looks pretty snacky in this. Like, you know, he's yeah. got his shirt <laughs> off a lot. Um, yeah. But the other yeah. thing is like this this came out in 2012, and the same year, Battleship, the movie, came out. Oh, wow. Starring Taylor Kitsch and Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> that was a period when he was sort of on the rise, and people are like, oh, he's going to be like the next big, you know, hot thing. Mm. And he wasn't. Yeah, but, they wanted know, he him to got be. to be in a movie with Rihanna, so you know he's kind of he can go home now, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and I don't want to hate on him. I, I think he did an okay job here, and I've seen him in other things where he does a good job. I think he's a fine actor. Um, I just I just don't know that he's perfectly cast for this role. Like you were talking about before, with like wanting a little more humor, that was kind of when I threw out the rock, and, and it kind of in jest, but like. I kind of wanted this movie to have a little more fun with itself because it is this old premise that's kind of ridiculous on the surface. If you if you do a lot more of that sort of tongue-in-cheek humor and you have a, a really charismatic lead who can sell that kind of tone, um, I just think it might have worked a little better. Um, but like I said, I did have fun with this movie. Um, and speaking of casting, I want to shout out that I didn't even know this guy <laughs> was in this movie until I looked it up after... Willem Dafoe is Tars Tarkas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, and I, I didn't. I was yeah. like, he seems familiar. I think I know who this actor is. I had to look it up after the words, though, which is a shame. He's like a big star. And, and I think a lot of people didn't know he was in this movie. Yeah. Um, the voice. He like narrates the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought he was great. One of the one of the one of the standouts, Tars Tarkas. Um, Samantha Morton is Sola, who, by the mm-hmm. way, um, we'll go ahead and announce we're covering Minority Report next week. Um, oh, nice. And she is one of the uh, one of the three psychics in that movie. Um, I forget her like mm-hmm. name in that one. She's the like main one that that everything goes down with. I forget her name, <laughs> but um, I just thought it was interesting that connection to she's going to be in next our next week you know project as well. I thought that was fun. Interesting. I mean, cool cool little connection there. I feel like we could connect we could connect every movie in that way. You know, every project we do, I feel like we should try to do like the the seven degrees of Kevin well. Bacon speaking of James Purefoy. Uh, he was in Altered Carbon as uh, yeah. the 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 ancient vampire guy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, forget his name. Uh, like uh, I can't blank I'm blanking on it now too. But the rich guy, um, and he right. was uh, yeah. he was in this too. Um, we had uh, Detective McNulty from The Wire as the bad guy. <laughs> uh, I just kept yeah. noticing all these people. I'm like, oh no, that guy Brian Cranston shows up in the Civil War. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> with long hair. <laughs> that was also in a period of time when I feel like you know Breaking Bad was the biggest thing in the world at that mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. and so for him to be in this movie was kind of his him like dipping his toe into the to the film. Right. You know, he'd done films, obviously, but it's kind of I think he was like ready to break out and do some films. Uh, I do want to say about Brian Cranston and just his performance in overall, even even after all of Breaking Bad, there's still like mannerisms that he has and the way that he speaks his inflection sometimes that reminds me of his character from Malcolm in the Middle. It's just an observation <laughs> oh, yeah. I had, yeah. but it's just like <laughs> oh, I was man. like, oh, that's yeah. very Malcolm in the Middle right there. I like <laughs> yeah. that. Love that show. And, and he seemed yeah. to get the tone of this. Like, he was pretty funny, actually, I thought, in this role. Yeah. In a role that didn't seem like it was written to be that funny, but he sort of made it funny, to me, yeah. at least. I don't know. In- mm-hmm. Interesting part. But anyway, I'm slowing you up. Let's get into some actual <laughs> plot there. I just wanted to shout out some of the many people that I recognized in this movie. Um, you know, also, uh, what is what is it? The King... 
what is it? The the, the king of the wildlings uh, was also in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was. I mean, well, Mark yeah, Strong as well as the, so many, as the yeah, Mark Tharn. Strong, yeah, from yeah. Sherlock and and <laughs> Kingsman yeah. and all sorts of things, He's all yeah. over the place. Yeah, he's anyway, great. Also, <laughs> he he nice. plays like he always plays that bad guy. Like it, mm-hmm. like he he. I feel like he's really really good at that. But I, I like yeah. to see him do other things as well. So, um, but to get into this synopsis here. So, like I, like I was saying before, I have four parts here. I'll try to get through it pretty quickly, and then we can just react based on. Whatever we're feeling. Okay. In 1881, after the sudden death of John Carter, a former American Civil War Confederate Army captain, his nephew, Edgar Rice Burroughs, attends the funeral. As per Carter's instructions, the body is put in a tomb that can be unlocked only from the inside. His attorney hands over Carter's personal journal for Burroughs to read in the hope of finding clues explaining Carter's cause of death. We move back to 1868 in the Arizona Territory where Union Colonel Powell arrest Carter. Powell seeks his help in, in fighting the Apache. Carter escapes his holding cell but fails to get far with the U.S. cavalry soldiers in close pursuit. After a run-in with a band of Apaches, Carter and a wounded Powell are chased until they take to hiding in a cave that turns out to be the object of Carter's earlier searching, the Spider Cave of Gold. A thern appears in the cave at that moment and, surprised by the two men, attacks them with a knife. Carter kills him, but accidentally activates the thern's powerful medallion and is unwittingly transported to a ruined and dying planet, Barsoom. Okay. So that's the setup. Uh, yeah. What, <laughs> yep. what are your initial thoughts, uh, Curtis? I, I want to let give you ample time to talk now that we're into the meat of it here with this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, so I did, I have to say, I did see this movie in the theaters when it came out. And had very little memory of it for watching it again. <laughs> so I did not remember at all uh, that, uh, like you mentioned, they open with that sort of voiceover describing like what Mars is. And like there's a city, like fighting another city and all this stuff. So I didn't remember that at all. And then we jump back to, you know, post-Civil War uh, New York. So that part was a little jarring for me. Um, mm. And I didn't remember... I didn't remember a lot of stuff that happened. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'll just say that and, uh, and and move on. But yeah, so I one thing I bumped on in this first section was the whole thing where Powell was trying to get Carter to join up um, with the you know you know the the army to like mm-hmm. go do whatever. And it's like I, I don't know. Maybe that was a thing that actually happened, but narratively it just felt like you know why would you want a guy who hates you <laughs> to like come work for you like he's mm-hmm. he can't be that good that you know you're basically gonna have to micromanage him all the time <laughs> to make sure he's doing his job right mm-hmm. yeah i felt like this was a, a this whole kind of side story that gets woven here was their way of trying to skirt around some of the more problematic elements with talking about native americans in in the book so i thought that this was sort of their way of being like we're just going to skirt out on the outside of everything else so that there's sort of like this convoluted Mm -hmm. reason why he and this other guy end up in a cave together i also felt like they they used that to like not talk about him having fought for the confederates although they pointed it out but then he was like yo i just i fight for for myself i don't actually care about anyone and i wondered uh watching it now i wondered if that was influenced at all by the tv series firefly because that was also very much like um, Mm. it was a space western and it was 
basically, you know, the guys who had fought on the losing side in a civil war. And now mm-hmm. they're like, so, um, so I wondered if they had consciously or unconsciously like tried to make the John Carter character here feel a little bit like uh, uh, Malcolm Reynolds and Firefly, where he's like, you know, I, I only fight for myself now. Like, I don't care about anyone else. I right. lost so much. And they mm-hmm. and that comes back later, and we'll, mm-hmm. we'll probably talk about that. Um, yeah. But I felt like, you know, they were trying to make it more personal for him, and I'm not sure that entirely succeeded, just because there was so much other stuff going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they were definitely setting up the idea of somebody coming to him and wanting him to join their cause, and him saying mm-hmm. no, so yeah, that, that yeah. could be a recurring sort of... Uh, touchstone with the character we can check in and see where he's at and then when he changes that to a yes by the end uh that shows character growth and creates this arc um and it's similar to what happens in the novel but maybe slightly different i think they were trying to define like a clearer arc for him for this film Mm -hmm. um and and maybe a little bit ham-fisted at the start there Uh, i agree but it seems like that's what they're doing they're laying groundwork for this arc uh, of the character just in this first section i have a couple things um i know that he has a bond moment uh, where he goes up to the bar and they says, "Who are you?" and he says, "Carter, John Carter." And I yeah, was I like, "What the fuck?" Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. actually, the way that scene played out didn't make a lot of sense. Right? No. He totally buried the lead. He's like, "I, I have some gold, actually, but I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. tell you about it because I just want to beat you guys up first. And then it's like, "By the way, fuck you." <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and he got knocked out a few times, I think, in this early early going, too. And I thought it was going to become a recurring <laughs> recurring thing because we, ha- oh, we noticed yeah. that happened a lot yeah, in the yeah. book. And uh, it did happen a few times here. Um, it, it was interesting because, like, tonally, like we said, it, it, this movie does have sort of fun with itself. But then at times it kind of takes itself too seriously. So yeah. I, I think that mm-hmm. is something that is kind of jarring at times. As much as I said that I felt, that I read that Stanton was kind of like he was out on his own. He was this is exactly his vision. I felt so much that they wanted this to be sort of like a Pirates of the Caribbean type tri- yeah. franchise, like mm-hmm. like be taken seriously, but also funny, but also action filled and sort of an adventure uh, story. And and I, I could I really felt a lot of that as I watched. Hmm. Not funny enough, though. It needed to go, needed a long way to go before it would achieve sort of Pirates of the Caribbean one level of humor, you know? Yeah, I mean, there was no actual comic relief character Hmm. for all this other stuff to play off of. The dog? Mm -hmm. Right. Right, Yeah, yeah, doesn't have any lines. It was great, but didn't end up doing too much. Yeah. Yeah, like I will say, like there, there. This is jumping a little bit ahead, but like the Virginia stuff, they kept calling him Virginia. Oh, I yeah, found yeah. that yeah. pretty funny. There were there I, yeah, no, funny was parts. Yeah, yeah, there was, yeah. and that was actually original. Like that wasn't in the novel at all. Right, that's true. And which we, we should always we already introduced this element that wasn't in the novel, at least that we saw of the the therns, right? And um, the way the way of getting transported to Mars was a little different. Um, and so it looks like they did some stuff to try and sort of make sense of the like more magical sections of the book. Um, and, and this kind of touches back on what you were talking about, James, uh, of the sort of creative control, um, that the director had and trying to sort of, um, be faithful to the adaptation in a way that I think was maybe too, you know, slavish. I, I wanted them to take more liberties, um, to update this story a little more, for our modern yeah. audience. And in some ways, some of the Stern stuff, I think, was was doing a little bit of that, but the main narrative still is intact, and it's very um, 
it's a very much of a throwback narrative of of a yeah. you know in a patriarchal society and and a woman is going to get married off in a political marriage and like all this mm-hmm. stuff and it was like in 2012 are we really wanting to see a movie about this sort of thing where it's taking place on another world like be a little more imaginative show us something different and right. um you could argue that if you change too much it's no longer a faithful adaptation and people would be frustrated with that reason so i'm not saying there's like an easy right answer to this but um, I just, I just wonder if maybe they could have taken a few more liberties with adapting this thing and trying to, trying to update it a little bit. Yeah. I was watching an interview of a producer on this film and he, he admitted that some of the, some of the reasons why he felt like maybe it didn't click with audiences were marketing reasons as well as multiple things. But one of the things that you kind of just mentioned was that he felt like this was an older style Hollywood epic story. Like he felt like this was sort of a, as you said, throwback for, a certain era of of filmmaking and films that people responded to and i think there's probably a large group of the people who do support this movie that you know respond to those movies because those are the movies that they love growing up um and sort of yeah it, it is it, it is interesting because it it totally is just it seems derivative even though it's the thing that that everything seemingly came from right which is a shame but <laughs> it's the truth <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. He also mentioned that uh, it was a, it was very uncynical and and it didn't have like it wasn't very edgy. So it was sort of like mm-hmm. this earnest, like older style ad- adventure story kind of thing. But okay. I feel like he's I don't probably, know if that's really yeah. <laughs> the reason. But okay. Yeah, I think you can be earnest and still a little more playful. Like right. I think the whole Virginia thing gets at that. Exactly. There were moments that really worked. Yeah. I think he specifically meant like at during that t- period of time there was a lot of like edgy cool like oh, like, okay. like uh films that were coming out and they sure, they were just sure. like too cool for that kind of thing like I don't want to be your your yeah. grandpa sci-fi story I'm the new <laughs> cool one and right mm-hmm. but that I don't know that just sounds like sour grapes a little bit to me I, I don't know if that's really the reason that this I don't know anyway let's I'm just on. the messenger <laughs> I'm just the messenger okay? I'm, I'm killing the messenger James <laughs> <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> okay, so getting into this next section here. Because of his different bone density and the planet's low gravity, Carter is able to jump high and perform feats of incredible strength. He is captured by the green Martian Tharks and their Jeddak, Tars Tarkas. Elsewhere on Barsoom, the red Martian cities of Helium and Zodanga have been at war for a thousand years. Sabthan, Jeddak of Zodanga, armed with a special weapon obtained from the Thern leader, Matai Shang, proposes a ceasefire and an end to the war by marrying the princess of Helium, Deja Thoris. The princess escapes and is rescued by Carter. Carter, Deja, and Tarkas' daughter, Sola, embark on a quest to get to the end of a sacred river to find a way for Carter to get back home. They obtain information about the Ninth Ray, a means of using infinite energy and also the key to understanding how the medallion works. But they are later attacked by Shang's minions, the Green Martians of Warhoon. So, I mean, just to reference the book again like this part diverges pretty pretty far from the original novel mm-hmm. but i think they're trying to pull in a lot of stuff from maybe the later books and the whole mythology of the setting um, right. i did like i will say that deja thoris had a more active role right in a yeah. lot of ways because like she was actually like she was researching all the ninth race stuff and she was trying to do something as opposed to just like walking around and getting captured every right and then there yeah. was the pretty pretty clear moments of them being like she's a badass where she, mm-hmm. she would be like no get behind yeah, yeah. me and that yeah, kind yeah. of thing so like yeah and, and like i appreciate that for what it is you know like they they are trying yeah. to 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 update the character 
to yeah, to give her more true. agency. Sure. And she she had figured out the blue light thing, and then it mm-hmm. malfunctions, and then the father's like, well, there's clearly nothing else we can do, so we're going to have to marry you off. And I was like, what? You just saw it almost work. Like, she's close. Get some other people in here and help her out. Like, this one guy obviously fucked with it. I mean, I thought everybody must have seen him do it, but maybe not. And yeah. I, was, I was very mad at the father in that moment, because yeah. he's like, there's just nothing else we can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just yeah. He's like, you, were, you weren't even close, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and that kind of gets back to what I was talking about with it, it like... I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe that was just the decision. The decision to be made. But it does feel like there's not moments where it feels like the characters are like, "All right, and moving the plot forward. Here we go. Mm-hmm. It's time to it's time to yeah. marry you off." So I want to shout out the Tars Tarkin uh, and and Sola plotline here because I really really enjoyed it, and it felt to me like kind of jarring when they set up these characters and their interactions. And it's so interesting, and Sola is so sort of selfless in her way of helping him out. And, and getting sort of punished for everything he's doing, I really wanted to see their relationship develop, Sola and mm-hmm. John Carter. And mm-hmm. it, it felt like as soon as Deja Thoris gets introduced, Sola is completely sidelined. And that storyline, I mean, it doesn't go nowhere, but it, it's no longer the focal point. And I found that interaction way more interesting um, and I really wanted to see more of that. And and um, I think Tars Tarkin, uh, also shout out to Willem Dafoe, immediately likable. You know, just from their very first interactions, I was rooting for this character. And mm-hmm. um, I, I love the way he was he was going to bat for John Carter over and over again, who, who didn't realize what was happening or, you know, mm-hmm. was just kind of being a, a big bull, just crashing through everything and um, <laughs> him having to deal with the repercussions of it. I don't know. I thought it was all fun and that's that sort of culture and society was really interesting. And it was, it, it reminded me of talking about avatar. It was like, you have the avatar race, um, which I'm drawing a blank on what they were called. Um, the Navi. the Navi. Yeah. And so you, you set up the Navi who are really interesting, but then you have another race show up that looks just like humans. And that's the one that we're more interested in. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what happens <laughs> with Dejah Thoris, right? Like what's these other humanoid, like they look like humans, they're the red humans, and that becomes the focus, and it takes away from this really interesting um, group of aliens that look truly alien and are truly alien. Um, and I don't know, I just felt like that was a mistake. I, I wanted more of that mm-hmm. and less of the other stuff. Um, although mm-hmm. I know that's not the story that's told in the novel. So I think that's the struggle with this with this narrative. Yeah, and then they add other things to to kind of complicate it and set up other movies. Um, do you yeah. guys think that if if they did cut all this, the additional stuff that they added to to kind of set up some of the the following stories, if they had stuck to the even more simplified version of this story, um, do you think it would have helped keep the length down and that kind of thing, or what do you think in terms of like the things that were added? How did that help the story or harm it? I mean, it's possible. Right, because we were because Luke was talking about how they tried to set up this character arc for John Carter, and I think if it had been more focused on that, um, and we had spent more time, you know, learning more about him as a person, like that bit of it might have worked better, um, and instead of you know jumping around and like, and like you said earlier, James, um, like there's not a lot of quiet moments in this film, and it. It definitely felt like it, like you were always learning like another thing about Mars. Like, oh, by the way, there's this thing, and then we found this thing, and this is happening too, right? Um, and it kind of 
there's a yeah it, it it was a lot like bullet points where it's like you know you need to know this and you need to know that we're not going to tell you more about it <laughs> because yeah. there's this next thing that we got to get to mm-hmm. I, I to your point luke i do want to say that like i i think i prefer most of the major characters in in this in the story in the film um mm-hmm. i think they just do a good job of making them likable uh change updating them in ways that i think are that work for the most part so i think I don't know. I think I do prefer most of the characters in the in the movie. Interesting. Mm. I just had a lot of fun with those sections. You know, seeing uh, sort of the moment where they're like locking horns with each other. They're talking about mm-hmm. like having to have someone else back them up to make this challenge. Um, you know, we're seeing all the stuff that Sola's going through. I don't know. I just those were some of my favorite points. And I actually have it here in my notes as I was watching it. I wrote down like, oh, I'm actually having a lot of fun with this movie so far. And mm-hmm. this was the part that I was really enjoying. And there's somewhere after this where it starts to become less interesting. And I think it starts to drag. And as we were talking about um, removing some of these other elements, I think there is probably 15 to 30 minutes maybe even of stuff that could come out of this movie to make it a tighter, more focused narrative where there's a lot of stuff where you can sort of like we're all savvy viewers of entertainment at this point, And we can kind of feel what they're doing. And a lot of the times it's like they're try- you can feel that they're trying to set up future movies. You're not mm. going to get answers to a lot of this stuff. <laughs> and I think a lot of people roll their eyes at that. They're like, just tell me what's going on. This is the movie I'm watching. Give me a complete narrative. Um, and this movie is playing too coy, I think, with some of their details. And um, I don't know. I-, I do think that, that it suffers a little bit for that. So moving on with the plot. After the attack, Carter is captured and taken back with Deja while Sola is able to escape. The demoralized Deja grudgingly agrees to marry Sabthan, then gives Carter his medallion and tells him to go back to Earth. Carter decides to stay and is captured by Shang, who explains to him the purpose of the Thurns and how they manipulate the civilizations of different worlds to their doom, feeding off the planet's resources in the process. Carter is able to make an escape as he and Sola go back to the Tharks, requesting their help. There, they discover Tarkus has been overthrown by the ruthless brute Tal Hajis. Tarkus, Carter, and Sola are, are put on a trial in a Colosseum battle with two enormous vicious creatures, the four-armed great white apes. After mm-hmm. defeating them and killing Hajis, Carter becomes the leader of the Tharks. Right, which was fun. You know, it was a, it was a <laughs> high, high action scene. Um, the big white apes were quite large. I was kind of surprised <laughs> um, from, you know, compared to what they were in the book. Um, I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. I, I did sort of miss the our, our fake out, you know, fake stabbing thing we talked about. But <laughs> I know that probably wouldn't have worked in the movie. Um, yeah. You know, they swapped characters here. It was Tars Tarkin instead, you know. Um, so, but it worked for the most part. And, um, I did like that when, when the, finally the one-on-one battle was about to happen, he's like, let's go. And he just chops his head off into one blow. Yeah. It was kind of a nice (laughs) subversion of what you thought might happen there. Um, because John Carter's just such a badass. This sort of, uh, Coliseum battle has been done so many times that it feels like, again, it feels a little derivative, but you know, Mm -hmm. you can point to this maybe as a reason why we see it in sci-fi so much, but, uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I, I, I like the fight. Um, I like the sort of like who pledges their medal to me or whatever. And like, he gets all Mm -hmm. the Tharks to, to join his side and, 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 uh, a little, a little, a little corny, maybe a little bit beyond that. It was okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that like, even, even with that cheesiness, maybe even campiness sort of feel, Mm -hmm. Um, 
we i think we get some of the best moments of john carter here like i thought like like seeing him actually you know becoming the the leader of the the uh tharks here and everything i i, I don't know i just i i think this is probably some of the better stuff that we see from him in the movie now is it is it before this when he has the big fight which is intercut with his flashbacks yes that, that it is before this yeah we got to yeah. talk about that because <laughs> i thought so i thought you know that that was an interesting you know bit of backstory but like like it wasn't closely enough linked with I think other bits of his backstory to really mm-hmm. build up that part of it, um, but I did. Um, I remember thinking as you know later in the when they're doing the gladiator battles, like like that previous battle, which was like him and like you know hundreds of other yeah you know, ten thousand darks or whatever um, like, yeah. yeah yeah but like in that like you don't really see a lot of the actual action because they're they're making a point about you know he's just sort of going into a, a blind rage because, mm-hmm. you know, there's all this emotional stuff happening. And then the the gladiator arena thing is really the um, where we see a lot of him actually using certain tactics to fight people, um, which, um, you know, and to, you know, again, draw comparisons to the book. Like, I think, Luke, you mentioned, like, in the book, like, he would sort of say, and then we fought for an hour, and I won. <laughs> so, like, yeah, without getting know. into the specifics of any of the sword fighting techniques yep. or anything. Um, so I was kind of reminded of that in, in, in some ways. Yeah. And that, that, that big scene, I wanted to shout out Wula uh, for sticking mm-hmm. with him, even after he tells him to go away. I was getting a little mm-hmm. bit of like a pit bull face for Wula. I don't know if you're picking yeah. up on that, yeah, kind yeah, of pity, yeah. which, mm-hmm. which I like to see. Um, I, I, I like, I liked Wula remarkably fast. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> improbably so, but yeah. uh, sort of in a fun way though. Um. Yeah, the the dog is great, and then I love that when stuck by his side, um, mm-hmm. continues to to just steal my heart. That dog. Yeah. <laughs> best. Um, I think the best part probably is just <laughs> very very cool character. Yeah. Okay. So to get this last little section of summary out of the way here, the Thark army charges on Helium and defeats the Zodangan army by killing Sab Than, while Shang is forced to escape and leave Mars for good. Carter becomes Prince of Helium by marrying Deja. On their first night, Carter decides to stay forever on Mars and throws away his medallion. Seizing this opportunity, Shang briefly reappears and sends him back to Earth. Carter then embarks in a long quest, looking for clues of the Thern's presence on Earth and hoping to find one of their medallions. After several years, he appears to die suddenly and asks for unusual funeral arrangements consistent with having found a medallion since his return to Mars would leave his earth body in a coma-like state. He makes Burroughs his protector, giving him clues about how to open the tomb. The story reverts to the present where Burroughs runs back to Carter's tomb and opens it, only to find it empty. Shang, disguises a man with a bowler hat who has been observing Carter, suddenly appears, having followed Burroughs. But as he prepares to attack, Carter appears and kills Shang. Carter then tells Burroughs that he never found a medallion. Instead, he devised a scheme to lure Thurn into revealing himself. Carter takes Shang's medallion, whispers the code, and then is transported back to Barsoom. Ah, there we have it. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you guys think of this, this sort uh. of... Uh, convoluted way and like all of these setups and all this Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff and and giving the uh you know the sort of the framing device uh do you think it do you think that having it be so important in the movie do you think that this was a was a worthy payoff I mean yes and no like uh 
on one level, I can understand why they chose to do it this way. Um, but I feel like overall, you know, if we look at this as an unsold pilot movie, <laughs> <laughs> then the last scene of the pilot is what the series is going to be about, right? Like that's mm-hmm. the rule. And, and the last scene is him like, you know, outsmarting the therns and getting back to Mars. And so to make that work, I think you would have to set up the therns, like basically give him more screen time and explain more about, like Mark Strong's character had that one speech about how they like mess with all these different civilizations that are dying or whatever it was, right? Which was like, <laughs> and, and I just, I don't know, I, that scene was... Uh, <laughs> Exposition I, I, heavy? Yeah, and I, I loved how John Carter, during the whole thing, he was just kind of standing there. He's like, yeah, and then what? Uh-huh, okay, <laughs> sure. Keep going. <laughs> like, he's not arguing with him or anything. Like, And I think, I think they were trying to make his character seem like very stoic, like the strong, silent type. Um, but in a lot of cases, it just ended up sort of making him more of a cipher. It's like, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know mm-hmm. what he's thinking about doing or what he wants to do or or why um so yeah so so i feel like you know they put the therns in there you know sort of with the idea that oh they're going to be sort of the big bad sort of throughout this whole thing that eventually he's gonna you know john carter's character is gonna have to level up until he can actually go fight the you know the big boss at the end um but i think in this particular story they were just kind of like they were very random. I felt like it's like, hey, we're gonna show up and give this guy a really powerful thing. We're gonna make these people do this because we said so, and like no one really understands who they are or what they're doing. Um, yeah, it felt so, it felt kind of poorly explained, and they also seemed very sort of, I don't know, Emperor Palpatine kind of just cliche <laughs> villain. That they're just evil mm-hmm. because they are. Um, it was yeah. unclear like what the point of it all was. Why are they doing things the way they're doing them? When they say they've done this to other civilizations, like how many are we talking about? Have they been affecting Earth? Mm-hmm. It was right, unclear. Right, because right, they knew a lot about Earth. Yeah, I just had a lot of questions and it felt like we were just getting a little tiny piece of it um, and it, it, kind of frustrating in the lack of explanations we get there. And it was very clearly like you're going to have to watch future movies to learn about this. <laughs> Um, and maybe we don't even know what we're going to set up yet, but we'll write it later. <laughs> um, I don't know. I was getting those vibes. So yeah, in the thir- mm-hmm. in general, like the Therns, I think there it was an interesting attempt to sort of up the stakes of the novel, but um, in some ways, I think it did backfire on them a little bit. Uh, Curtis, you mentioned you mentioned something that I, that I wanted to talk about was the mm-hmm. the moment where they. So this movie I've talked about a few times. Like I realized on this viewing, which this is just my second time seeing it, but. Uh, on this viewing, I realize how much exposition is just, it's just dumped on you and dumped on you and dumped on you. Yep. And there's literally a moment where they're like, all right, we're going to mobilize John Carter. He's not going to be able to speak or move. And we're going to force him to listen to exposition, heavy exposition. Yep. Dump. I'm going to yep. monologue at him. Yeah. I'm going to monologue at him for a couple of minutes That's and he true. can't do anything about it. There's nothing like We just have to get all of this out of the way here. So yeah. I, I, that was a moment that I just like kind of, kind of laughed at. Um, but so I, in, in terms of like this, this sort of uh, the clever way that John Carter um, overcomes the Therns and, and, you know, beats them at their own game kind of thing. I, I thought that 
I still think it's fun. Like I, I enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. I think that it was the first time I saw it, I definitely did not see it coming that he was going to have like, you know, s- devised all this in order to trick them and, and then go back to Barsoom. Um, I kind of like that. Do I think that it pays? Do, do I think that the whole framing device needed to be set up so that he could do that last little bit there? Um, no, but I think I, I do think it was fun and and. I don't know. It's just funny how much how I, I it feels like the movie's over and then they have this whole kind of like epilogue here where where mm-hmm. he goes and does all of these things just to set up another movie. It feels like we did get a line from uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs. Actually, no, it's John Carter to the Edgar Rice Burroughs character that I really liked. It was take up a cause, fall in love, write a book. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> the way he said that, I was like, all right, John Carter, I will. I'm working on it. <laughs> Get off my back. <laughs> Or I'll just take your book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. How about you hand me over that manuscript? <laughs> the whole Edgar Rice Burroughs thing just kind of took, threw me for a loop like from the beginning, and I just, I don't know. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I think I appreciated it more having just read the book, right? Like, it mm-hmm. was fresh in my mm-hmm. mind. I was thinking about the fact that they mm-hmm. did this framing device in the, in right. the novel. But if I hadn't just read the book, <laughs> I, I don't know that it would have landed as, as well for me, Um and like it was something that I didn't kind of bounce off of, whereas I might have otherwise. Um, but that's probably the benefit of like reading the book right before you see a movie, which we've learned from doing this podcast. Like most people don't <laughs> generally do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. kind of a unique way to watch something because, um, you know, it kind of gives us a unique view of it. I, I like to think uh, I do have to mention off something Luke said a minute ago. My favorite cheesy line from the movie okay. <laughs> is when it's somewhere in the middle when they're in the desert and like Deja Thor is explaining who she is to John Carter and John Carter oh like, God, takes I it in and he looks at her and he's like ah a princess of Mars <laughs> <laughs> and like I just I want there to be like I, I hope he did one take where he just like looks direct in the camera and just like does the the cheesiest possible delivery of that yeah. <laughs> oh man I'm not the uh, hugest Family Guy fan, but there is there is a bit in one of the episodes where Peter said it cuts to Peter in the theater and he's like elbowing Lois. He's like, they said the name of the movie. And I always mm-hmm. think of that little bit whenever I see a movie uh-huh. that does this. So I just want yeah. that scene to be put into like any movie. <laughs> just cut to Peter Griffin. They said the name. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. So I have a couple of like little closing observations that I didn't mention. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to start compiling yours, uh, yeah, I felt that the CG in this movie for the money that they paid, I think it looked pretty good for the most I part. I, I oh, thought yeah. it was solid, yeah. uh, which is, you know, a, on a technical level, like that's an achievement and like the, you know, money well spent. I think that, um, you know, it's been what, like eight years now or so and looked, it looked really solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. there was a certain scene that I wanted to talk about. Uh, is a scene where they're in the Tharks sort of temple area, uh, the the holy area where that like you know they're breaking mm-hmm. the rules by being up there. That was an extremely horny scene, like super super <laughs> like weirdly like way beyond what I thought would be in a would be in a Disney movie. Like there, I was like, what is happening here? Like this is very very very. Oh yeah, where they're like so close provocative. He's like sticking his arm out like around. Yeah. yeah. And they're like showing like how big he got his arms in the gym for this role and everything. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Right, right. It, that brings up an interesting point about how this movie at times felt almost like it was like a YA romance, but it's not, but like it's not supposed to be. 
Mm-hmm. And like maybe it would have worked better as as that. I don't know. But then yeah. maybe you maybe you have to introduce other elements to make that work. But um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. In some ways, this I felt like this movie had a crisis of identity, and and that's the kind of thing that shows that because it, it it almost didn't work for this movie to have that scene. I don't know, maybe, or maybe it did, but other other elements needed to get in line with that more, I guess, to make it work. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that with the book too, where how it was all about how John Carter, like, you know, he went to this other planet and fell in love. And like the whole book is based about him, like trying to get the girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing in the movie is that because it's not all from his point of view, like the good thing is we got to, you know, spend time with some of the other characters in a way that didn't happen in the book. Like you were talking about Tars Tarkas and like seeing the Tharks sort of live their own life, sort of independent of John Carter and whatever he want, was doing. Um, but they didn't, like, in terms of the romance, I felt like they would have needed to, to beef up Deja Thoris's uh, backstory. Because we don't really know anything about where she came from or why she is the way she is, right? Like, how yeah. did she get into science? And, like, is yeah. she the only one working on this ninth race stuff? And, like, what is actually her normal relationship with her father when they're not mm-hmm. like, trying to marry her off? <laughs> yeah. Um, Remember yeah. when you so, told me that story about the stars, she says? Yeah. Yeah. That's like the little little taste we get. It, yeah, yeah, it does right. bring me back around to like how much I really wish we'd gotten more Sola. Um mm-hmm. because yeah, yeah. John Carter's motivation for everything he does, backing up Deja Thoris, is basically horniness. He's like, You're hot, <laughs> I like you, we're compatible, and therefore I'm into you. And so now I'm gonna like help you eventually, right? But like anything that he does for Sola, like that's not the motivation. It's more like pity for her and the way she's been treated and justice. And like that interaction is so much more interesting to me because it tells me something more about John Carter than he is just like a horny dude, Um, which, you know, it's so that to me, that's just way more interesting. And I wanted more of it. And I was disappointed when that whole plot line gets sort of sidelined. It does come back at the end, but it's not the focus. Um, And, and I just, I don't know. I wanted more of it. Yeah. All right. Well, if you guys are ready, I think uh, we should move into sort of. I know we wanted to talk about whether we prefer the movie or the book. That's that's something, yep. that's something <laughs> we definitely take our vote. answer here. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll take our vote here in a second. Oh, one more thing that I that I wanted to mention. I noticed as they got up to the gate, the gate of Is, sort of down the river Is, mm-hmm. um, the giant structure looked a bit like the Millennium Falcon with like this sort of. <laughs> Really? front portion with a section taken out i don't know okay i didn't know yeah, if that was kind of a little nod to like the fact that like you know star wars was influenced by this maybe this it's was influenced funny. by star wars back and forth kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah i was Just getting a little, a little bit of uh sort of lord of the rings vibes like they're trying to go for that when they're going down the river yeah. and the big yeah. ancient structures and all that yeah mm-hmm. but when they got there and i think deja thoris is like i've never seen anything like this before i'm like and I was thinking, yeah, it's too bad you don't have airships that could like fly over <laughs> yeah, everywhere right. on the planet and <laughs> see stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how is that not a thing? Are we are we ready to get into our votes, or do we have anything else we want to get into here before we before we move to this sort of final capping it off? Oh, actually, I do. I <laughs> just remembered. Um, I have a correction for last week. Um, I you asked me, Curtis, um, when he wrote Tarzan. And yeah. I threw out, I think I threw out like uh, 1917 or something, which was wrong. <laughs> um, it was concurrent. He actually published the first Tarzan hmm. story the same year that he published the first John oh, Carter really? story. Hmm. Yeah, 1912. Wow. So he wild. started writing them both. He ended up, went, on, went on to write, I think, 24 Tarzan novels. 
um, obviously selling like hotcakes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, correct that. I got that wrong on the episode. So yes, they were written concurrently. It seems like, and both both huge successes, um, and came out the same year apparently. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> and when did and Disney made a Tarzan animated movie like ninety nine, ninety nine. Okay, yeah. nice pull. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I think I've seen it. Maybe. <laughs> so we we mentioned last episode that one of the things we're going to try out this year is we're going to try out at the end of a project, uh, weighing in. Each of us is going to take a vote. Um, we'll go around and we're going to save the guest for last. We're going to vote on whether or not we felt like if we had to pick one. Was the book or the movie better? Um, so we're going to do that now, and we're, we're doing it essentially to invite people to sort of give us feedback online, weigh in on whether or not they agree, disagree, give us their reasons why. Um, we just ask that you try and be respectful in the comments. Don't, don't, don't attack anybody for having a different opinion. Um, it's all in fun. You know, obviously, there's nothing definitive here. Um, but just in our opinions, what we thought was better. And uh, do you want me to start? Do you want to start, James? Or we I'll kick start. This off? <laughs> okay, I'll start you, real you quick. Okay, you off. So, my my answer is quick and easy. I I choose the movie. I think that they I like the things that they updated as much as I felt that there was some stuff that definitely could have been cut out and I think that like under maybe different direction under different circumstances maybe with you know more reshoots as the as the director was more accustomed to uh, we could have got some more of the culture, maybe some more unique looking. I, I do think we got some unique looking cities, but maybe some more like unique mm-hmm. moments in those unique looking cities. And mm-hmm. um, overall, I, I just think that like, like as I was talking about before, I, I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the updates of the characters. Um, and I think this is a pretty solid adaptation of of the original work. I think that I think that it it. Maybe I, I would put it basically just on par, but because I have to choose, I'm going to put it just above the book. So I choose movie. Okay. Uh, so I struggled with this one. Uh, we're starting off the year with a difficult choice. I have a feeling we're going to have more of these in our future. And I was kind of kicking myself like, why did I, why did I agree to do this? Um, it's tough, you know, and, and you're, you feel like you're going yeah. on record with something that you don't feel strongly about. Um, and, and really the, what made it tough is I enjoyed this movie in general, I had more fun with it, which I know, like, I feel like I've been being very critical in this coverage, but I did have fun watching this movie for the most part. And because of that, um, it made it a very difficult choice. And I looked at both of these, the book and the movie, and I felt like both have flaws for me. Um, flaws galore. And um, the movie, we, we've outlined them all in this episode, or I, I feel like I've weighed in on most of mine. Um, last episode, we talk about the book in a lot of the ways that it doesn't really jive for me as sort of a modern audience for it. Um, so when it came down to it, I had to go with the historical relevance of the original book and how important it was for, for sci-fi um, in the modern age. And um, so I had to sort of give it like history points and, and, and realize that because I'm reading it a hundred years later, that's introducing some problems, you know, that I probably wouldn't have had if I had read it at the time. So while I think both are flawed and, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say either of them is like a favorite of mine. I wouldn't give anything five stars or any of that. Um, I came down to it. I am going to vote for the book. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I, we're starting off the year, right? Right. Like you go with right. the movie, I go with the book, right? So, um, uh, <laughs> For the sake of argument, I almost gave it to the to the book for just sheer legacy as well. Like I, yeah. I almost did it, but I was like, you know what? 
I, I this time through, I think I had more fun watching this movie than I did reading this book. So that's what I give it so, this time. So we would have started with a split decision if it had, if it had been our uh, typical guest-free episode. But since we have a guest, we have a tiebreaker. Curtis, explain your thinking and let us know what you voted for. All right. So, I mean, I'll I'll I'll, I'll just tell you my vote first and then explain. Okay. Cool. Um. Uh. So I. I also would vote for the book over the movie. Um, and it's for a lot of the reasons that Luke cited, which is, you know, I mean, I guess you could say some of them were academic in terms of, like, I, as a science fiction writer myself, like it was really interesting to see, you know, this primary source that's influenced a lot of other, you know, creators um, since it came out. Um, but that said, I mean, I enjoyed the movie, you know, both times I saw it. Uh, it's not a terrible movie. Like, it, it's well made. Um, yeah. They made some odd choices, I think, narratively. Um, but they definitely, you know, had an idea of what they wanted to do. And I think in a lot of ways we're successful with that. But the book as just sort of, uh, you know, it's a, a window into a different age for me. Just to see, like, what the writing style is like and uh, and, and like it's it's actually not you know it's not as bad as maybe some other uh, stories from around the same times in terms of how you know the attitudes are maybe dated or like it's still like you know it's not great right yeah, it's damning uh, with faint praise but you're right like it's not quite as bad yeah, as like some it's of the not other terrible. stuff like it's um, <laughs> and it's you know sort of a very um, typical I guess of. I think the adventure fiction, like pulp fiction of the time, which was a really big thing back in the day. Um, so for me as a writer, it was interesting to to read this and see you know, what writers were doing back then. Uh, and also, I think the first three novels are in the public domain in the U.S. You can like, download them from Project Gutenberg. You don't have to pay anything to get mm-hmm. the ebook. Um, so you can just kind of like flip through them and, and see stuff. Um, and... I, and in terms of, you know, things that it has influenced, like it's, you know, reading the book sort of gave me a new perspective on a lot of the things that, you know, I've uh, read and seen, you know, myself in, in my lifetime. Um, I, we mentioned a bunch of these last week in terms of books, like the Martian Chronicles and mm-hmm. a lot of different Mars stories. And one, yeah. one in particular I want to shout out uh, that's on the air now is the Supergirl TV show. Oh. which has the Martian Manhunter on it, mm-hmm. um, which is a character from DC Comics. Um, and in, and in, like the whole DC Mars mythology is very similar to the Barsoom thing in that like it's a dying planet and there are green Martians and white Martians and they're at war. And, um, but it's, it's, it's fun to see how they've sort of taken some of those ideas and developed them and what they're doing with them now on the show. And like, it, Supergirls are great. It's it's a really fun show. And, uh, I know it may not seem like something like important, but um, I, yeah, they 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 get uh, a little ridiculous now and then. But do you do you watch like all of those those ones that that connect together for all the the big? I know they're doing uh, like that big event currently, right? The Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, they're really into the crossovers right now, which is interesting. Like, I feel like it's starting to get a little out of hand. But yeah, it's, yeah, it is fun to see how they 
<laughs> yeah. After a while, like I, I had to drop Arrow after a few, after like four or five seasons, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, and then yeah, Flash, yeah. I dropped after like three, and I just I couldn't keep up anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, yes, yeah, same here. Yeah, but I really still I'm still enjoying Supergirl. I'm watching Batwoman now. Also, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I feel like it's important to support those shows in particular. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, and I watched like the first season of Legends, which was just like flat out ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> like... it was kind of fun in a fun way. I, I watched the first yeah. season of Legends. It was it was pretty good. Okay. Anyway, uh, but yeah, <laughs> anyway. the point. so I, I will say that like in terms of you guys, you you guys you took the Curtis, you took the split decision and decided the book on this one. Um, yep. And you know, I have no qualms with that. I think this is a good one to to choose the book for. I was kind of like. You know, I had no, I really didn't have a have a uh, horse in the race. I was like, you know what? Either way, no. Uh, the, the, I think the legacy the, of the, the moral book of is, here is is to know that you were wrong, James. That's what. You yeah, did. yeah. I should be shamed, and you and, should be ashamed of your vote. Yeah, yeah. Correct, correct. It'll be interesting to see when the two of you flip. So Luke right. likes the movie when James yeah. likes the book better. That, that will be, be interesting for sure. Because I feel like what's going to happen more often will be we both like the book or I like yeah, the yeah. movie and he likes the book. Uh-huh. Maybe. It'll be interesting. We'll see. I don't, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this plays out. Uh, and I hope that it, that it ends up being sort of a net positive. Um, I know yeah. that it can be controversial when you take like a hardline stance or something, but yeah. we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we really enjoyed having you on for this entire project, Curtis. Um, this has been oh, a lot yeah. of fun discussing this all this with you. Um, and I just wanted to give you another chance to talk about um, what you got going on, what you got coming out, um, that sort of stuff, so that if people enjoyed listening to you on this podcast, they can they can look for your work uh, in the future. And where can they find you? Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, yeah, no, this has been really great. So thanks again for, for inviting me. I've had a blast doing this. Uh, I am online. I have a website, curtisccen.com, and that links to all my other stuff, like Facebook, Twitter, um, and uh, yeah, the next thing that's coming out is Machina, as I mentioned, on Serial Box. And after that, in a couple months, I think, is going to be the second season of Ninth Step Station on Serial Box. That's a same kind of thing. It's a collaboratively written uh, story, serial story. And this one is a near future police drama set in Tokyo. It's a little cyberpunky. So uh, they're bo- nice. those, both that. of those are, yeah, both of those are very <laughs> science fictional. And I've got a couple of short stories coming out later this year. Um, I don't know the dates exactly, but those will all be on my website. I'll be tweeting about them. I'm at Curtis C. Chen. It's three C's, except no substitutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, don't you also run uh, the Puzzled Pint thing? Do you want to talk about that? (laughs) Yeah, uh, so Puzzled Pint is a monthly event. It's happening now in something like 80 cities in 13 countries around the world. Wow, uh, this, I didn't know it was that big. Yeah, it's kind of grown beyond our wildest expectations. Uh, it's a free event. Um, if it's happening in your city, you can you go to puzzledpike.com and see if it is. Uh, it's the second Tuesday of the month. You go to a bar with your friends and solve different kinds of um, like logic puzzles, word puzzles. Um, That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You can see all of our past uh, archive puzzles on the website and try some of them out. And what else was I going to say? Uh, we are a 501c3 now, uh, public charity. So we are working on uh, sort of looking to the long term. So this July will be our 10th anniversary of Puzzle Pint existing. Wow. Congrats. Which is, 
a long time. Yeah, thanks. Um, but it started us thinking about, okay, like a lot of people are into this. Um, we really want to make sure it keeps going. So how do we make this organization sustainable? Um, and if people want to help out either by, so, you know, if you just want to play, if you want to run a puzzle pint in your city, if you just want to, you know, try out some of the puzzles or, you know, donate money to help us pay for, you know, website costs and whatever else, um, you can go to puzzlepint.com and get all the info there. Very cool. Awesome. Well, Curtis, it has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This has been great. All right. I will see you at the next write-in, but uh, thanks a lot, Curtis. <laughs> all right. All right. So one final time, the giveaway, if you would like to enter to win Waypoint Kangaroo and Kangaroo 2 by Curtis, send us an email, subject line kangaroo, that's the code word, and you're going to enter to win those signed copies, also the codes uh, as described in the episode. So definitely send us those emails. We're going to announce the winner on Monday following uh, the release of this, which comes out on Thursday. So the following Monday, you have through the weekend, but try and get those emails in. I'm going to send out the, the, the announcement on Monday. So make sure to get amendment, and hopefully the hopefully you win. Good luck. We want to say thank you to our patrons who funded this episode by using their tokens, by putting their tokens yep. towards it. Uh, it was Steve E, Ben E, and Chris C. Thank you yep. again to those three for you know literally picking this project and and forcing us to do it. We we appreciate it, and <laughs> and uh, it was fun. I, I enjoyed doing it. I knew this was one we would eventually do. So put a little check mark next to that one on the list. Yeah. You guys uh, took us on a journey to Barsoom, and we appreciate it. Um, if you would like to find out how to become a patron yourself, even find out how you could commission a project of your own, go to patreon.com slash ink to film, and you can see all the different tiers we have on there, the different things we're offering. We have tiers as low as $1 a month, so check it out and see what we're offering. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those adding to film, and join our Council of Inklings. We recently posted a poll on there. Uh, which is desi- decided our minority report next pro- the next project that we're covering will be minority report because of that poll. So definitely check that out. We also post any sort of adaptation news we see and just overall podcast related things in there. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just posted news about like the new altered carbon season two uh, launch date was announced today. Um, stuff like that. Poll, as mentioned, we're going to be doing Minority Report by Philip K. Dick and directed by Steven Spielberg next week. If you'd like to get in on those votes, um, join that Council of Inklings on Facebook. I know that a lot of people are leaving Facebook for good reason, but I, I do know some people who have left their accounts active just for the group feature. And the group feature on there is pretty good. That's one of the things I'll give Facebook is that I like the group feature. So maybe maybe do that if you're if you're a Facebook, uh, you know, if you don't like Facebook, at least you could, you know, just join the group. Check it out. Um, and a- as we said, if you liked this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. Um, that would really help boost our signal and get more listeners, which is uh, one of our goals. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, that's going to be it for Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, until we maybe we tackle Tarzan down the road. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but that's it for now. Uh, I had a lot of fun on Barsoom. Um, I, I feel like I know more about the sci-fi genre, um, so I appreciate this coverage. And I've seen this movie now that um, I can't believe how much money they spent on it. It's pretty astounding. <laughs> Honestly, this um, this has been a nice little primer for Dune. I think like this has gotten me more, even more excited for Dune. Yeah, well, let's hope that Dune is uh, better. A different kind of <laughs> movie than that. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. 
but you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't hate this movie. I had fun with it. So those out there who, who really like this movie, like I understand why, you know, I see it. Um, and I can see why people would really like this movie. Um, but yeah, that's going to be it for us. We hope you come back next week. Sci-fi fans for minority report. Oh, and if you aren't really into sci-fi and you're still listening, uh, we are <laughs> going to be covering water for elephants following that. Um, so stick around for that. It should be an interesting project. Another commissioned, uh, uh, project for us. Yeah. But until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.